0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So how'd you do yesterday? Score big? Get lots of things worth re-gifting? That's always a big plus, right? And you're not the first person to think about it like that. Some 61% of Americans surveyed typically admit to getting at least one unwanted gift for the holidays. That's 154 million adults, and it works out to roughly $15.2 billion wasted on unwanted gifts. Billion with a B. It's a thought that counts though, right? And maybe that's the problem. Maybe you didn't put enough thought into the gifts that you gave. We probably should have had this conversation a month ago, but for future reference in order to avoid any awkwardness, you might want to skip clothing and accessories. 43% 43% said those were the gifts that they least liked to receive. But then any 10-year-old continue to uh, tell you that socks and underwear don't make the cut, right? <laughs> Evidently, that attitude doesn't change when we grow up. Another 20% said that household items weren't appreciated, followed by cosmetics and fragrances at 12%. So if they don't appreciate them, what do they do with them? Well, 31% said they keep them. Uh, Anyway, that's less than a third if you're doing the math. Another 31% will be re-gifting them to someone else. 20% will exchange them. And 7% will actually turn them into cold, hard cash by selling them online. And a small, very unappreciative percentage will actually give them back to you. Or maybe just throw them away. Are you surprised that clothing topped the list? Has anyone here this morning ever not received uh, bunny slippers or a Christmas tie? Other than from your kids, of course, because everything's great from your kids. But something that you probably wouldn't have waited in line to purchase for yourself. Now, you don't have to raise your hand, but don't you wish we could project all this, all your memories that are popping up when you think about unwanted gifts you received over the years? That'd be hysterical. Probably better than the rest of this message, but <laughs> we have to do this. Yeah, you know, luckily for us, a great Christmas gift doesn't depend on how people receive the gifts we give. That's because a great Christmas is really all about the gift that God gave us. You know, it's enough to overwhelm all your other holiday issues with its insurmountable joy. And that joy doesn't end when the tree comes down. You know, hopefully your time spent in worship during Advent and Christmas help keep you centered on the real reason for the season, the gift of the Christ child, the one gift that really does keep on giving. Those special blessings of God we received and uh, continue to receive through the baby Jesus and, of course, now the Lord Jesus, all grown up, have a way of sticking with you long after those few pounds have been uh, shed that you were brought on by your holiday feasting. And they'll follow you right into the new year. Do you think that Mary and Joseph weren't wondering what to do with their gift? How do you get tasked with raising the Son of God and not somehow mess that up? After dragging themselves to Bethlehem for the census and camping out in a stable because there was no holiday inn or no room really at any inn, giving birth to a child and not just any child but the Son of God and not in very pristine surroundings, you know they must have run the whole gamut of emotions themselves. And then, having been visited by shepherds who had been visited by angels who had been sent by God to, to, to announce the birth of the Savior, maybe even having overheard the angels singing praises to God in the distance, after experiencing such an unreal Christmas, don't you think they must have wondered what next? The angels would return to heaven, the shepherds went out to tell everybody the good news, but they must have gone back to their shepherding. There was really nothing left for Joseph and Mary to do but get back to the real world and the business of living, knowing without a doubt that nothing would ever be quite the same again. But the angels and the shepherds weren't going to be the only ones to proclaim Jesus' deity, or that as a savior, he'd come not only to to, uh, suffer and die for us, but also to fulfill the law for us. And that's what our gospel lesson is about this morning, when in accordance with the law, Jesus was presented in the temple. And that gave Simeon and Anna a chance to fulfill ancient prophecy by recognizing and proclaiming who he was. And then Mary and Joseph took the baby Jesus back home with them. Their lives changed forever and certainly rejoicing over it. But we can't leave him behind either. And we shouldn't want to. Once Jesus comes into your life, he becomes a part of your life. The Apostle Paul described that life-changing moment in his letters to the Christian in Rome as putting on Christ. Now in today's reading, he puts it all together into a metaphor that we can all relate to that's kind of like that new Christmas sweater you received. The what do you do with a gift like this part? Well, he says they should be worn every single day. He's saying that we should embrace the grace that came down at Christmas, and just like, just like uh, we received a whole new wardrobe. You know, you've heard the saying, clothes make the man. Well, that's not a modern saying. That's... That's an ancient saying. In fact, it it goes back so far as a, an early 16th century Catholic theologian named Erasmus, who was a, a contemporary of Martin Luther, and he put together a book of Latin and Greek proverbs, and this is one of he included in that. He translated it as "The man is his clothing." You know, think about Clark Kent, you know, also known as Superman or or Batman, and I do know Batman as also known as Bruce Wayne. So ha. Uh, Or uh, who would Iron Man be without his super suit? I know I don't remember who Iron Man was. Just another wealthy industrialist, right? But Mark Twain, he made quite a fashion statement in the early 1900s with his trademark white suits, and he knew it. He once said, clothes make the man. Naked people have little or no influence on society. Isn't that the truth? There really is something about the clothing we wear that has an impact on the way we feel about ourselves. Many school systems these days have gone to stricter dress codes um, uh, or even uniforms because they know it changes the way the students act. There's a definite relationship between what you wear and what you are. A police officer puts on a uniform and he instantly projects an air of authority. Put on hospital scrubs and you'll project something that enables people to trust you even though they've never met you before. Put on a clerical shirt like like Pastor Mike and I wear, and everybody will say, good morning, Father, when you're in the hospital. (laughs) Go figure, right? Paul was writing this letter to the Colossian Christians way back in the first century, and even he knew this. Clothe yourselves, he says. That doesn't seem very revolutionary to we, the people of the overflowing walk-in closet these days. But to us, the idea of simply changing clothes is no big deal. But Paul knew his audience, and he knew that what he was saying would get their attention. See, in his world, putting on a fresh set of clothing was really a big deal. Clothing was costly. They didn't have factories in China and the Dominican Republic mass-producing it and then slapping on Italian-sounding labels so they could overprice it and sell it to you that way. Not like today at all. In fact, every article of clothing had to be painstakingly stitched together by hand. Few people outside the aristocracy owned more than one or two changes of clothes. To get a new outfit seemed like making a whole new beginning. For Paul's readers to hear him say, hey, you need a new wardrobe, well, they'd sit up and listen because changing clothes just wasn't something you did without some serious forethought. Paul wrote just before our lesson, picks it up from Colossians, put away your old self because in Christ you have put on the new self. That was a powerful metaphor that those early uh, believers would have understood. And it really still is. If you're in Christ, he tells believers, then you're a new person with a new wardrobe. There's no longer Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all in all. That's right before our reading kicks in this morning. All who love Christ are God's chosen one, who, who's ones who are holy and beloved. Our dress, our demeanor, Our posture and our attitudes are to reflect the one who chose us in Christ, which means we put to death the earthly and self-serving desires that are so common in this world. We strip off that old self with its practices and clothe ourselves with a new self, which is constantly being renewed according to the image of our Creator. It's not about making a lifestyle statement in order to call attention to ourselves, but rather seeing our whole lives as pointing to the one in whose image we're made. Paul gives us an outline of how to dress for what should be the rest of our lives. He lists five pieces of clothing, all designed to communicate Christ to others, Uh, all designed uh, to be worn whether we're on our way to church or just taking a walk around the block. Wearing this kind of character clothing, we could call it, demonstrates to the world that we're not pushing our agenda, but that our agenda is always about reflecting Christ. Compassion, compassion's about sympathy for others, right? The situations of others, the the guy who's giving you a hard time at work or the neighbor down the street or never seems to have a good day. They're likely dealing with things you have no idea about. You know, when someone is acting out, the issue you see is probably not the real issue. You know, have you found that to be true? Most of the time, our own bad behavior is the result of something going on in our lives that gets us stuck. You know, compassion looks for the opportunity to care for people where they are, to love them in spite of their situation. Kindness is a conscious consideration for others and their needs. You know, think of it as compassion taking action. Rather than categorize people by their dress or demeanor, uh, we should look for ways to care for them where they're at. We represent Jesus, whose kindness always drew people to him rather than pushing them away. Humility helps us to see others more important than ourselves. This is an important theme for Paul. In Philippians 2.3, he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Romans 12.3, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. St. Augustine said, It was pride that changed the angels into devils. It is humanity that makes humans as angels. See, the thing is, by, at least by all outward appearances, the majority of us don't seem very interested in becoming angels these days, uh, since the garment of humility seems to be worn so infrequently. Of all the items in a Christian's wardrobe, this is the one item we're, we're more apt to be, leave uh, hanging in the closet. You know, when uh, kids receive gifts, uh, they, they can't wait to call their friends and tell them what they got. But these days, it's all about branding and special shoes and the cost of, of, of these kinds of things and uh, the, the, the billboard they make out of them slapping their, their name on them and stuff like that. Uh, and, and in fact, I'm writing to my grandson. I said, humility, we talked about it in Confirmation. I, I said, just when you call your friends, tell them you got a pair of shoes and you got a new backpack. That's all you got to tell them. I don't believe it happened, but I told them. But that's the kind of thing, people do that in their own lives, don't we? So we, we leave that humility sometimes hanging in the closet. The perfect irony is that this garment of humility is really the, the one that goes with everything. It's nice to say, yeah, I got, I got some nice shoes and I got a new backpack. That's fine, but you not have to get into the brand. And you know, <laughs> let me step over here for a minute. These, these shoes they're selling nowadays for kids, that cost so much money. They go through like three or four step verification to make sure that when you get that shoe, it's an authentic shoe and not a copy. And they can even hang a special little tag on it that's been authenticated three or four times before you even put them on your feet. It's like, oh my gosh. So then you want to take the tag off. The authentication tag is important to leave it flopping around on it. <laughs> I, I, I don't get it. So, you know, it, it, it's uh, kind of like, you know, we. You don't know what, it, what it's all about sometimes. Now meekness or gentleness—that's you know courtesy, consideration for others. It's waiving our own personal gain to, to uh, lift up others. It's one of the, uh, really a mysterious thing. We don't know what it's all about. It's like looking at th- and, and it's something and, and you go, "Gee, how do I wear this? What do I wear this with?" Uh, meek doesn't mean mousy. We talk about somebody being meek. We think you know weak. Uh, Mousy, maybe, uh, but it doesn't mean you have some sort of inferiority complex. Uh, the Greek word has a sense of being tamed. Think of it as the, uh, the, the power and the, the spirit of a horse whose energy is under control. Uh, Moses was described as meek, and we know that wasn't true at all. He was very strong. Uh, Jesus uses the word to describe himself. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, there's the word, and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus exhibited this kind of meekness on the cross when, uh, like Peter describes, they hurled their insults at him, and he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Jesus didn't have to hang on the cross like that. He did it because it had to be done to be our substitute. He could have slaughtered everybody within miles if he wanted let the ground open up and swallow them, people that were tormenting him. But he didn't because he did everything that he suffered and endured was for you and I. And we, in meekness, Jesus' disciples showed gentleness, even toward people who were inflicting their abuse. Rather than threatening revenge, they offered forgiveness, and they kind of left it up to God, hoping that their example really might lead another person to Christ, bring them into the family of Christ. Now, the Jews insisted that they weren't supposed to suffer anything from a Gentile or a stranger and that they had the right to avenge themselves immediately. And it came out of Scripture. Deuteronomy 28:13. 13. Moses tells them, The Lord will make you the head and not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you'll always be at the top, never at the bottom. But if you look at that verse closely and look in context, it's really not a verse about vengeance. It's about trusting God. If God it was always the one who took charge of all the sorting in the world, uh, there wouldn't be any problem. It's when people go off on their own, isn't it, without his blessing, that they can really make a mess of things. Life is short. Gentleness is always in style. Patience is the ability to not become frustrated or angry when others intrude on us, but instead offer forgiveness for their shortcomings. After all, Paul says, we ourselves have have uh, tested the patience of God with our own sin so he says just as the Lord has forgiven you so you also must forgive and then he says above all these things put on love see every one of these items is an essential part of a believer's character wardrobe but the one piece of clothing that every Christian needs is the warm overcoat of love uh, which binds everything together in perfect harmony He also writes about love in 1 Corinthians 13, where he says love is patient, kind, not self-seeking, keeps no record of wrongs, and always rejoices with the truth. In short, love is really the goal of a believer's uh, dress code, isn't it? It's fashionable everywhere, and it's always welcome. In fact, it's love that put the Christian on this journey in the first place, love that came down at Christmas. So even though the wrapping paper has been picked up and the batteries have been inserted, Uh, the the toys finally assembled even though the new appliances have been plugged in and we're beginning to think about the task of taking the tree down and putting all the decorations away in anticipation of the wise men arriving on Epiphany January 6th Uh, there's some things about December 25th that just shouldn't get boxed up with a little effort and a lot of help from God our new clothes should continue to be worn Mary and Joseph uh, left Bethlehem in the rearview mirror But they didn't leave Christmas behind. It went with them because Jesus went with them. In accordance with the calendar, each one of us is going to have to move on too, back to our homes, back to our careers, back to our routines. Mary and Joseph went back to face the questioning glances about just who this baby was and and how he came about. But they didn't go alone, and neither do we. With the Spirit's help, we can move on. Different people from what we were before. Because uh, of Christmas, we can live in Christ and not the past. And then, as Paul promises, the very spe- special peace of Christ will rule in our hearts. Now, Tis the season. Yeah, Tis that season, always. Amen.